Our Old Testament passage comes from Ruth, chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a certain man in Bethlehem in Judah went to live in the country of Moab, he and his wife and two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These, these took Moabite wives. The name of one was Oprah, and the name of the other was Ruth. When they had lived there about ten years, both Malon and Chilion also died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she started to return with her two daughters-in-law from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had considered his people and given them food. So she set out from that place where she had been living, she and her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to go back to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find security, each of you, in the house of your husband. Then she kissed them, and they wept aloud. They said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Do I still have sons in my womb, that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. Even if I thought there was hope for me, even if, should, even if I should have a husband tonight and bear sons, would you then wait until they were grown? Would you then refrain from marrying? No, my daughters. It has been far more bitter for me than for you, because the hand of the Lord has turned against me. Then they wept aloud. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. <coughs> so she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not press me to leave you or to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. There will I be buried. May the Lord do thus and so to me, and more as well, if even death parts me from you. Lord, Lord. Thank you, David. I appreciate that. I've got two helpers this morning that are going to come up here and help hold a little poster. How do they do that? They said, I love Ruth. Realize we just read about 25% of the entire book of Ruth. It's only, about, it's only four chapters. Yeah, you guys can just go. We'll get that in a second, right? Okay, so Ruth, um, in the words of Caleb, so good. This is a great, great book, right? Just four chapters. It's got a lot crammed in there. It's my favorite book of the Bible, between Judges and First Samuel. Okay. I want to tell you a story about Anna. Anna lived a long time ago. And just like we could go around and we could tell stories about each of our past, what led us here right now? I'm not talking about like 
why did we come to church today? But why do we even exist? We could probably tell stories about crazy situations where our parents met, that's the reason why we're here, or our grandparents, or things that our families avoided, like certain death, or things like that, that we are here because of these stories. So again, I wanted to tell you a story about Anna. Anna lived in Germany a long time ago, early 1900s, late 1800s. And she decided, when she was 26 years old, that she was going to come to America. And this is the exact boat that she came over on. Something's pretty cool. I just found this out a few weeks ago. This is the boat she came on. This is um, where a lot of Germans were coming over the United States. This is before World War I, before World War II, of course. And so she didn't know that, that things were happening in the future. But what she did do is when she was 26, this is older than a lot of people that came to the United States. She came over to the United States through Ellis Island, right? So I don't know if you have any family members or anything that they came through that way. She didn't know any English. On the documents, I got to see this, which is really cool. She could, um, she couldn't read, and I believe she couldn't write either. She didn't have a great trade, and she, her destination was Chicago, even though she was coming into New York. Right? She put an address down on the um, the sheet that somebody filled out for her when she got there. But she gave up everything. Her culture, she didn't know English. She gave up everything. And in Chicago, a year or so later, she met another man. They got married. They had children. One of those children was my great-grandmother. So this Anna is my great-great-grandmother. And my great-grandmother, who only actually passed away just a few years ago, I knew um, and loved. And so the reason I'm here is because this woman, Anna, who I never met, died long ago, decided to get on a boat, decided to do something rather crazy, and leave her homeland. To go start somewhere new. Thank you. This is the story of Ruth. And so, what we're going to do here today is we're going to kind of go back through this passage. And so, if you have your hand out too, kind of follow along with me. We're going to eventually, we're going to actually read through it again, but it's such a rich text. But I want us to remember, as we're as we're looking at this, that Ruth, and probably many of you know this is the great-grandmother of King David. Ruth ended up, when she made it back to Bethlehem, she married Boaz, right? They had a son, Obed. Obed's son was Jesse, and Jesse's son was King David. We see the lineage of even Jesus in Matthew's Gospel. Ruth listed in this lineage, right? There's only five women even listed in the lineage of Jesus, Ruth being one of them. Her decisions that she made put her on a path that was much different, right? I just think that's awesome stuff. Okay, so let's let's look at this, starting in verse 1 again. In the days when the judges ruled. Now, we need to talk about this just for a quick second. This is before kings came on the play, right? Before King Saul, what would happen is the people, and this was very cyclical, this happened a lot. A lot of good stuff was happening, everything's going great. Oh, when things like that happened, people started to disobey. They started not following God. And kingdoms nearby would take them over or put them into some kind of exile. And so God would raise up a judge. For a certain time and season, that judge would come in, bring peace and prosperity. And the people would forget about God again. 
They would make bad choices, right? And it would be cyclical. So the time of the judges was a very tumultuous time, right? So that's what, where we're at right now, in the days of the judges. And there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, right? this is a very oxymoron. Bethlehem literally means house of bread. And there's a famine in the house of bread, right? So there's a... Uh, there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to live in the country of Moab. Moab and Israel did not get along at all. Moab is, things must have been really bad for you to go to Moab if you were an Israelite. Literally in scripture, I want to read this to you in just a few, uh, in Deuteronomy 23, 3 through 6. I'm going to read this to you. This is what Moabites look like. No Ammonite or Moabite or any of their descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord, not even in the tenth generation. For they did not come to meet you with bread and water on your way when you came out of Egypt. And they hired Balaam, son of Beor, from Bethor, and Aram to pronounce a curse on you. However, the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam, but turn the curse into a blessing for you, because the Lord your God loves you. Do not seek a treaty of friendship with them as long as you live. This was the relationship. Now, Ruth wouldn't have known that. This was the relationship proclaimed in Deuteronomy. They did not have a good relationship. Their cultures were very different. Moabites were known for child sacrifices. Like a lot of cultures, unfortunately. They had a different language. They, they quarreled. They fought. There's a lot of things going on here. And yet... The man and his wife and their two sons went to Moab. By the way, this isn't super close either. It's 50 miles away between Bethlehem and Moab, which we think, okay, that's not too bad. We hear other stories, but this isn't a straight shot like other things we read. This is over, if they did, if they went straight through, this was over some pretty treacherous terrain, and um, the, the, there's mountains, and um, all historians think this was a really arduous journey. It would be about seven to ten days to get from one to the other. All that to set up, this was bad, for them to, to leave their own homeland because of the famine. They literally must have thought, we will die here. So let's at least give us ourselves a fighting chance by going somewhere else. Anyways, he took his wife and two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Malon and Kilion. Here's what's interesting. Why in the world would you name as a good Hebrew your kids, Malon and Kilion? Now here we hear, hey, those are cool names, right? It literally means sickness and like ailment or ailing, right? And Hebrew names are so important, right? The meaning of them. And yet, it's kind of like telling me it's just an conversion. Something's not going to happen good for them. Sickness and ailment, their two sons. They were Ephratites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite Moab, Moab wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. When they had lived there about ten years, we have a lot going on. This is a whole ten years in about three verses, maybe even a little bit longer. But after that time, both Malon, Sigmus, and Kilion, Ailey, also died. So that the women, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. 
Not only did you leave your land, but now you've lost your own family. Verse 6. Then she started to return with her daughters-in-law from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had considered his people and given them food. So things are happening. She's heard through the grapevine, right? She's heard that, yes, there is now food back in Bethlehem. In the house of bread, we can now go back. We can go back and we can start over. So she set out, verse 7, from the place where she had been living. She and her two daughters-in-law. Catch up. They already set out. So everything she's about to say for them to go back actually happened as they were going, not at the very beginning, which is interesting. And they went on their way to go back to the land. But Naomi said there for two daughters in law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's house. This is really interesting. Everywhere else in Scripture, what Naomi should have said is go back to your father's house. And we don't know anything about Ruth's father or Orpah's father, but in a patriarchal society, you go back to your father's house. But this, this is a story. Ruth is a story about women. So I'm not surprised when it says, go back to your mother's house. All the commentaries I read said, we have no idea why Naomi would have put in their mother's house instead of their father's house. That doesn't match up with culture. Except when you realize, this is a story about women rising up, which is awesome. Um, so anyway, yeah, she says, go back, each of you, to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you. May the Lord deal kindly with you. I'm going to skip that for right now. We're going to come back to that one piece, which is so important. This is a prayer of Naomi. She's praying over her two daughters-in-law. As you have dealt with the dead and with me, the Lord grant that you may find security. These prayers, by the way, in Ruth, 100% of the time, all the prayers in Ruth are not by are not toward the person that prayed. So that'd be like if I prayed for myself, right? There's no prayer like that. All the prayers in the book of Ruth, only four chapters, are for somebody else. And in Ruth, all the prayers are answered in the way they are prayed. Now, I know we we all know that doesn't work that way. But it is interesting in the book of Ruth that it does play out that way. The Lord grant that you may find security, each of you in the house of your husband, I nearly didn't pick the NRSV, which we usually use, because of this one word and how the NRSV translates it. I don't like the word security because as Americans, we have such a misconception of security. When we hear security, we think of money, social security, right? You're you're set up for, for good once you retire. When we hear security, we think of a security system in our house to provide safety and things like that, right? This is not that kind of security. The NIV translates it as, the Lord grant that you may find rest. But that's not really right either. So there's a reason why the NRSV does go this way. Rest, we think of, I've just run a long race. I'm tired. I need rest. So you go, you lay down, you turn off your brain, you rest. But what happens after you run the next race? You're tired again, so you need more rest. This, probably best of find in the prayer, the Lord grant that you may find satisfaction. Not a temporary thing. Not something that's going to last just a short time, but something that's going to go. A rest that is 
long. A rest that doesn't end. That's that kind of satisfaction that I think gives a better understanding of what Naomi's praying that the Lord will do. Then she kissed them, and they wept aloud. They said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Do I have sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. We see this in the rest of Ruth. Um, Naomi is, is very um, very sad, but also um, she just is um, well, very different. And we'll see this in a second, too, if you know, if you know about the book of Ruth. In chapter 2, when Naomi, Naomi does reach Bethlehem, and they say, Naomi, you're back. What does she say? Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, which means bitter. Call me bitter now, because that's who I am. Right? So we see that playing out. And then in verse 13, we're going to skip down there. Would you then wait until they were grown? Would you refrain from marrying? No, my daughter. It has been far more bitter. Interesting, it already gives us that word. For me than you, because the hand of the Lord has turned against me. Then they wept aloud again. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Orpah didn't do anything wrong here. Orpah did, did as her mother-in-law said, right? She went back. Scripture doesn't say, oh, when she disobeyed and she went, no, that wasn't bad. What Orpah did was good. But Ruth clung to her. So she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, I love this part, do not press me to leave you or to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. See, it's easy to stay in one place. It's easy to sit where you are. It's not me trying to say that things happen and that push us to, to leave and that's good. To wipe your hands in a situation, that sometimes is needed and move on. But sometimes that's, that means digging in where you're at. But also that means sometimes following God's leading and going. Sometimes it's meaning, it means to do the uncomfortable, not to just do the status quo. It's exhausting to do new things, isn't it? Think about our transition here. It's exhausting. Something new. It's different. It's unique. It's exhausting. We're building a house. It is exhausting, friends. Don't build a house unless you have nothing else on your calendar for a year. It's hard. It is hard. If you started a new job recently, it's hard. It's hard because everything is new and uncomfortable. It's so much easier to stay where you're at. Right? We don't like being uncomfortable. We like to stay put. Our new location again. We're learning, we're, we're growing, we're figuring out like what do we need to make this space around. We miss Club Heaven, but we know this is where we're leading, and quite frankly, we are driven and, and we needed to give it back to <laughs> But that's what Ruth did. And the same sort of thing, this obedience to go to a new place all of a sudden, when I hear this, I think of I think it's Jesus calling to the disciples. And in Matthew 4, 18-20, Jesus was walking by the city of Galilee. And he saw two brothers. They were Simon, the other was named, sorry, um, his other name was Peter, and Andrew, his brother. 
They were putting a net into the sea, and they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, said to them, Follow me, I will make you fish for men. At once they left their nets and followed him. That same they're just doing their normal jobs. Normal day in and day out things. And yet, Jesus called them. And they at once, scripture says, dropped their nets. And they went and followed after him. This is what Ruth did. She knew her culture. She knew her place. But she decided, no. I'm going to cling to you, Naomi. And I'm going to go to this new place and this new situation. Where you will go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. She's all in. You catch that. She's not going back to Moab. She's not going to Bethlehem for a little while. She's literally telling her, I am going to be with you. I'm going to declare your God is my God. Where you die, I will die. But what's interesting here? is Ruth still calls her a Moabite. She doesn't lose who she is. She's still Ruth the Moabite. But everything else has changed, right? But who she is didn't. I think that's a good good thing to realize here. She doesn't change who she is, but everything else does. There will I be buried. May the Lord do thus and so to me, and more as well, if even death parts from me. Such such a powerful, powerful piece. I want to take our last few minutes, and I want to focus back on this one linchpin, I think, in this whole passage, and actually in all of Ruth, and we really see it in also chapters 2 and 34. And if you go back, you can look at it with me. It's in verse 8. And this is where I said we go back and we look at it together. And it says, May the Lord deal kindly with you. May the Lord deal kindly with you. The Hebrew word here is a very powerful word called, I'm going to try this one time with a guttural, and I'll just say it. Any Hebrew people out there? Okay. Hesed. It is such a powerful word. That is the proclamation here. May the Lord have Hesed with you. For the New Testament, kind of the, the Greek um, kind of counterpart to this word, it's a godly love. Man, some of the most profound words we get in the New Testament are when there are passages about God's agape love. This is the counterpart, Hesed. It's a covenant faithfulness, right? Hesed is love and mercy. Hesed. Is grace and goodness, it's loyalty, it's devotion. But here's the crazy part of Hesed. It is a one-way love. It is a love without an exit strategy. It's a love that you don't get to pick. It's a love that is independent on your actions. It's a love that does not matter what choices you made, it is there. I'll be very open and vulnerable with you guys. The Old Testament, sometimes for me, I miss a connection with the New Testament. And I get it. I know what Jesus says. I know I know the passages. I know the connection. But in my heart, I sometimes feel a disconnect because I see the agape love of Jesus. 
right? And I see that brought into play. And I see the covenant God made with Abraham and Sarah. And I see that, but then I always wonder, wait a minute, but God only blessed them and their descendants so that they could be blessings to the nations, as we know. But what about everybody else? We know Israel did do a good job proclaiming that. And I think it hit me with this Hesley. And I think it hits me very close when I read this passage out of 1 John. I'm going to read it to you. 1 John 4. This is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is a doctrine. Follow with me. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. God loves us first, and then likewise, we love our neighbor. What does this sound like? This sounds like covenant. This sounds like the covenant that God made with Abraham. I'm going to be a blessing first so that you can be a blessing to everybody else. I'm going to agape you first here, and likewise, agape your neighbor. What a connection. This has it. This love goes from the very beginning. It was different languages, but this agape love goes from the very beginning. So if you have found a difficulty finding your place in Scripture and the story of God, know that God's love, God's unconditional, God's one-way love, God's love without an exit strategy, goes all the way back. And it goes all the way forward. It goes all the way to right here. That we are here getting to be loved by God. How exciting and awesome is that? That is the prayer that then played out for Ruth. May the Lord give you. May the Lord hesitate you. May the Lord have faithful covenant with you. And I would say to us today, may the Lord love. May the Lord agape. Whatever words we say, may, the, may you know that God is going to love you. Just like he loved Ruth. Just like he loved every character in Scripture. He loves you too. And he loved me. And that didn't just start with the New Testament. It went all the way back. It played out differently. We know this by Jesus. We see it play out. But God's love is so powerful that the covenant continues even today. So I end with this. God loves us first. And likewise, we love our neighbor. God, thank you for this morning and this passage in Ruth. Lord, help us to sit with that. Sit that we are loved. That there's nothing we can do about it. We are loved. We thank you for your goodness, your hesed, your agape love. Lord, as we go out, help us then to do likewise to love our neighbor.
to be a blessing on those around us. Say amen. Amen.